The first scripture reading this morning is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 64, verses 1 through 9. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you, as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways, but when we continued to sin against them, you were angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have given us over to our sins. Yet you, Lord, are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are all the work of your hand. Do not be angry beyond measure, Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. Oh, look upon us, we pray, for we are all your people. And the second reading is from the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 5, verses 12 through 13. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground. And begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Almighty God, pour out your Holy Spirit on me and on all of us gathered here. Lord, take my words and make them yours. Take all of our thoughts and make them yours. And take our hearts and set them on fire for you. Father, we love you. We pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So when I was in uh, the fourth grade, we had a school play. And this was the kind of school play that, like, if you were in the school, you were in the play. didn't matter if you could act or not, or if you wanted to be in the play or not, you're in the play. And so they had uh, after-school rehearsals, which meant, you know, on the days when you had the rehearsal, you were going home like an hour or an hour and a half later than usual. And um, I, there was one day in particular when, you know, the rehearsal ended and we're all waiting outside for our parents to come pick us up. And I was waiting, then waiting, waiting. And eventually I was the only kid left. Uh, and it was just me and, and the teacher who was responsible for running the play. And, and we were wondering where my mother was because it was getting pretty late. And, and the teacher decides to go inside to, to call my mother and see where she is and make sure she's you know, not stuck in traffic somewhere or anything. And, and this leaves me alone outside of school wondering uh, where my, my mother is and why she hasn't picked me up yet. And then the teacher has taken a really long time. And I start to think, man, did she go home without me? And just 
And so I left. Uh, and I, <laughs> I've got every grandmother in the room freaking out already, right? This happened years ago. But, and so I, you know, I, I just started to walk home because I thought, well, my mother's forgotten about me. Uh, the teacher's gone. I might as well go home. Everyone's forgotten I'm even here. And so I'm, I'm walking home, and, and then it starts to rain. And, get in. <laughs> and then the sun sets, because it's like November, so the sun sets early. So it's cold, and it's dark, and it's raining. And I'm walking home alone in the cold and the wet. And I'm wondering why my mother abandoned me at the school. And then their, their car pulls up next to me, and both my parents run out of the car and run up and grab me, and they're hugging me, and they're simultaneously saying how grateful they are they found me and yelling at me because I left the school without telling anybody, and so the police were called because the teacher thought she was going to get fired because she lost someone else's child, so the police are out looking for me, and everyone's scouring the neighborhood because I left school and was walking home. Did not go well for me, let me tell you. I got in trouble that night. You would think they would have just been happy to find me, but uh, as it turns out, no, no, I was in deep trouble. You know, the, we, we have a special sense that we don't often refer to, right? We have, everyone knows the six, like the five senses or the six senses if you want to watch the movie and spoil the ending. But, but we have another one that we don't talk about much because it's not actually recognized by most people. Um, we have a sense that, that connects us to God. And in the New Testament, the, the word for this is, is translated as your mind. Right? Paul has a verse right, where he says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. But actually the Greek word that's used there really doesn't mean mind. And there's not actually a good English equivalent to it. Uh, but the Greek word is nous, N-O-U-S, nous. And it, it, it is not meant to be like your intellect or your thoughts. It's something deeper than that. The best way to describe it is like, it, it's, it's like a radio receiver that tunes you into God. And the ancient belief is that we all have this, this built-in receiver that, that sort of automatically connects us to God and allows us to hear him, to sense his presence with us, and to maybe not so much to communicate back, but to at least, at least know that, we're, that he's there with us at all times. So they believe we have this built-in sense, this little radio antenna that, that connects only to God, Right? And because they believe it can tell you when God's with you, it also therefore can tell you when God's not with you. But you know, Paul's verse, right, be transformed by the renewing of your mind, implies it's broken. It doesn't always work the way it's supposed to. And so at times, it will feel for us like God is nowhere to be found. It will feel as though we've been abandoned and certainly We've got plenty of examples throughout history of Christians who felt as though God had abandoned them. You don't even have to go that far back. It wasn't all that long ago that Christians in Syria were being slaughtered for their faith, hunted down by ISIS as it took over the country. Even right now in Nigeria, there are Christians being persecuted by extremists for their faith. There are places all over the world where being a Christian is still a death sentence. It happens. And you have to imagine that those people wonder quite often just where God is in all of this and why he doesn't put a stop to it. And even in our own lives, which are fairly comfortable and generally pretty safe, we've got to wonder at times, okay, God, what are you doing? 
why haven't you fixed this yet? I mean, how many of us have lost a loved one and wondered in the moment, okay, Lord, why? Why didn't you fix that? Maybe some of us even have had loved ones who, who have been in so much pain and suffering that we actually wondered, God, why didn't you fix this? Why are they still here? Even in matters that aren't so much life and death, right? Maybe a, a job that's been lost or a relationship that's falling apart. There are all kinds of scenarios in which it feels like our lives are falling apart around us and we have to wonder, if God, if you're good and you know all this that's going on and you said you would take care of us and you said you would provide for us and you said you loved us, then why are you letting this happen? It's a nearly universal experience for all Christians throughout all times and in all places. And I have to think that in those moments, most of us would like to cry out with Isaiah, oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down and fix this. Isaiah is really two books. The first 39 chapters are written before the exile to Babylon, and the rest of it comes after the exile. So the first chunk of the book is lots of wrath and judgment and punishment for your sins. It's really delightful, pleasant reading. Um, the second part, though, is, is quite different. It actually starts off in Isaiah 40 with comfort my people. Because they've, they've, they've been exiled. They've suffered the wrath of God. Now God's saying, okay, now for the pleasant part. So there's lots of passages in there about comforting your people. And don't worry, one day the Messiah is going to come. And it's all going to be good. I'm going to make everything right. And in the midst of all that, we have this, this little verse in Isaiah 64 Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down and the mountains would tremble before you. This, this prophet writing from the place of exile in the midst of all these promises about the Messiah is going to come and it's going to be okay and I'm going to save my people. And it's as if Isaiah is saying, hey, that's great. When? When will you do that? Just do it now. We're so tired of all of this. But he's writing on, on, on more than just one level because he's not only talking about their own, their, their present situation in the exile in Babylon, waiting to return home. He's also just writing about the state of the world in general and the coming of the Messiah in general. He's looking around at all that he sees around him and thinking, you know, Lord, the, this place is pretty messed up and it's broken and there's all kinds of evil and oppression everywhere and there's injustice everywhere and, and there's death and dying and suffering everywhere. Why don't you just come down now? What's stopping you? We're all waiting for that moment. And the history of the people of Israel is full of times like that. I mean, they spend 400 years in slavery in Egypt. And how many times do you think that the Hebrew slaves in Egypt thought, God, why won't you just come and take us out of here now? And then when, once they're finally free and they come into the promised land, then they're oppressed by the Philistines and they have to... And they cry out, God, why don't you come and, and stop this now? Eventually, they, they undergo rounds of oppression by the Assyrians and then the Babylonians. And then after the exile to Babylon, they're, they're free. The Persian Empire conquers Babylon and lets them go back to the Promised Land. But that doesn't last long because then the Greeks conquer the Persian Empire and the Greeks oppress the Israelites, which, by the way, is how you get the whole story of Hanukkah. That's tied in there. And then after the Greeks, it's the Romans. And then there's 400 years between the prophet Malachi and, and, and the gospel of Matthew. And you've got this long period of silence under constant oppression from multiple evil regimes who, who brutally oppress them and suppress their religion and try and persecute them in every possible way. And throughout all of that, they've got to be wondering, where is this Messiah who's supposed to be coming? This seems like it would be a really good time for him to be here. 
So where is he, God? Why don't you rend the heavens and come down? And of course, then Jesus does come. You know, the, the leper in today's story, in the original language and in the context of the other Gospels, it's, it's really, it's heavily implied that he's in the final stages of his disease. On the brink of death, just waiting for it to come. And he's probably sitting by the road as a beggar, which means he's in a ditch that's full of garbage and probably sewage. No one will touch him. No one will help him. He's, he's just existing until the moment his heart stops. So much so that I, I really imagine that this, when he cries out for Jesus to help, it's not this loud, impassioned cry. It's probably more like a, a mumbled whisper using up all the last little bits of energy he has in desperation. And for the first time in his entire life, someone hears that plea for help and stops and reaches out to touch him, which is, in all likelihood, the first person who has actually been willing to come that close to him in decades and says, be healed. And we see in the birth, the life, the death and resurrection of Jesus God's answer to the entire problem of evil and suffering in the world. And yet, and yet, we are still wondering, just like the people of ancient Israel, when he's going to come and, and finish the job. And we wonder that at the global and national level, I mean, it takes all of 30 seconds looking at the news to see that the world is still in desperate need of God's solution. There's evil all over the place. There is persecution and oppression and injustice all over the place. And no one seems to have an answer to any of these problems. And it's perfectly fair for you to look at the news and wonder, okay, God, when are you going to actually step in and fix this? But at a personal level, too, it affects us. We all have problems. Most of us have more problems than the people around us realize. And everyone is struggling with something and we're all wondering on some level, at least some days, when God is going to step in and fix the problem. Do you know that Mother Teresa had exactly one experience in her entire life when she felt like God was present and listening to her? Just one. And it was the experience that prompted her to go to India and begin her ministry with the poor there. But that was it. For the rest of her life, I mean, that happened to her as a teenager. She lived well into her 90s. For the rest of her life, she constantly felt that God was not present with her, that God was not speaking to her. And she was never sure that God actually heard her prayers. I mean, imagine that. Even the Apostle Paul has a 10-year period where he never hears from God, doesn't hear God speak to him, doesn't feel that God's present with him. I mean, this is the guy who wrote the New Testament, and he says, I had 10 years where I didn't feel like God was with me. For whatever reason, 
It's very common for the people of God to have these extended periods of time when it seems as though God just goes silent. And that sense that we have that tunes us into him just seems like it's not working. We can't sense that God is there with us. We don't hear from him. We don't feel like he's listening to our prayers. And I'm willing to bet that there are some of us who, it's not just that we had it happen once and it never happens again, but for some of us, maybe that has never once been the case. We've never once felt like God heard us or God was present with us or God was even paying attention to us. And the difficult thing is we don't really get a clear, good, satisfying answer from the Bible for why God does that. It just seems to be the case that, that he wants us to wait. To, to trust that he's still there. To understand that even when God is silent, he is not absent. For some reason, for some reason, God will do this to us from time to time. And we have to trust that he's still good and he's still present with us and he still wants good things for us and he's still going to provide for us even when all of our senses are telling us otherwise. And do you know, I'm willing to bet that people who actually persevere through that have the deepest and most unshakable faith of all. No one would doubt the faith of Mother Teresa even though she spent her entire life questioning whether God actually heard her prayers. This, this leper in the gospel story still has enough faith to cry out to Jesus asking for healing even though he has to have wondered his entire life just exactly why God had abandoned him in the side of a ditch. After I, I got a thorough scolding from my parents about the dangers of running away from school without telling anybody where I'm going, uh, and how it's not good to alert the police department to a missing child when you don't have to. Um, after all of that, I found out she was about five minutes from the school when I left. She'd just been delayed by traffic. That was it. If I'd waited five more minutes, she would have been there, and it would have been fine. And instead, I went running off into the setting sun with the rainstorm coming and scared everyone half to death and almost got a teacher fired. If I'd just waited a little bit longer, it would have been fine. See, the issue was not that my mother had forgotten me or abandoned me, it was that I lost faith in my mother. And how many people do we all know who lose their faith in times when it feels as if God's abandoned them, when they lose someone close to them, when their life is falling apart, when they just don't feel like God is there with them and they lose their faith in you? How much longer would they have had to wait? Maybe not that much. I mean, it's such a common story. I just don't feel like God's there with me. Why should I believe in him if he's not here all the time? Well, the answer is, that's what lots of people felt. The entire nation of Israel would have felt that way. Sometimes God makes us wait. And in the midst of that waiting, we simply have to trust that whatever he's making us wait for is worth it. It's better than we might expect. And even now, even now, we still wait because Jesus came once 2,000 years ago and, and, and gave us an image of what the kingdom of God will look like and what his final solution to all of our problems will be. And then he left us and entrusted you and I with the responsibility of actually living out that life even now. Maybe the solution to the answer of what God is going to do about this problem right here is he's waiting until you fix it. We are given the responsibility to live our lives as if we are in the kingdom of God right here and right now.
And so in the midst of all the brokenness and all the pain and all the suffering in the world, we are called to be the light in the darkness. The people who live their life the way that Jesus lived. Who are willing to go to the people who no one else will go to. Who are willing to live a life of love and peace and compassion. Even when all of our senses are screaming at us that it won't do any good. We're not, we're not waiting to celebrate something that happened 2,000 years ago. We are waiting. We are waiting for the return of Jesus. And in the meantime, we still live in his kingdom. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.